I thirst. These are among the seven last words of Christ upon the cross recorded in the Gospel of John. And on the surface, they might not seem so extraordinary. Why not focus on it is accomplished or Father, into your hands I commend my spirit. And of course, one could easily naturalize this statement and say that as one would be asphyxiating upon the tree, it is natural that one would be thirsty. Psalm 22 records how Jesus' mouth is as a potsherd dried. And yet, Mother Teresa of Calcutta meditated upon the words I thirst and discovered what is perhaps one of the most powerful meanings behind Jesus' statement. Yes, Jesus is true God and true man. He did encounter need. And of course, theologically, it was necessary for him to drink the fourth cup of the Passover Seder that he refused to drink in the upper room. Now, as Scott Hahn and others will point out, he completes the sacrifice begun in the upper room by partaking of this chalice, the wine on the sponge, completing the sacrifice, completing the atonement for our sins. But I would argue that there's something more going on here. Mother Teresa of Calcutta sees it. She argued in her life that it was Christ's thirst for souls and Christ's need in our neighbor. And when we come across our brother or our sister who finds themselves in great need, whether we find them speaking, requesting assistance, or whether we find them in positions of anger or positions of ridicule, Behind their words, there is an unspoken or spoken need. That all of humanity crying out for peace is in union with Jesus' statement, I thirst, seeking the healing hands of the divine. Jesus is both the Good Samaritan and, in some sense, he is the wounded man beaten on the road. Jesus is both the priest, sinless, perfect. He is also the victim, offering his body in propitiation. Jesus is both our advocate before the Father, and he is also the cosmic judge. Perfect mercy and justice. These paradoxes are perfectly understood when we realize in Christ, the infinite voice of mercy. He sees the depth of our needs and sees us individually and personally upon the cross. If you have a crucifix before you or can find an image of Jesus crucified, if you could meditate on it for merely 15 minutes, looking into the face of the crucified, you can realize in that one moment as the veil of the temple is torn, as the earth quakes, as voices are hushed and stilled, 
But truly, he is thinking personally and individually of you. And that this gift has been given that you might have life. That is why he has given his own in exchange for yours and mine. This is why this instrument of torture, a sign of horror in the ancient world, was suddenly taken up by the Apostle Paul only two decades after the event as the sign of life, declaring that he will boast in nothing except the cross of Christ and that he has been crucified with Christ. That the Son of Man has given his life for love of him. Paul was willing to go to the far reaches of the known world and to lay down his head on the chopping block in Rome precisely for that truth. Peter was willing to be crucified upside down. The apostles were willing to go the distance because they knew that their sins, that our sins, have been forgiven. The question before us today is, are we willing to do the same? And that doesn't mean necessarily laying down this very moment, our life in martyrdom, although that might come, given the state of the hostility to the faith growing in the West. But it can begin simply by recognizing the thirst in the one right next to you and being God's love to them this day and all days.